This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Pulse 95. Pulse 95 Live at the Sharjah International Book Fair. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Live from the Expo Center Sharjah. It's Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats as we meet some of the world's greatest authors right here at the 38th Sharjah International Book Fair. What a great discussion with James and Chloe in the last hour. The podcast for that will be up and we'll be sharing it uh, far and wide. Uh, really interesting, lots of uh, topics covered, but this hour. We are going to be meeting the author whose 10 novels have sold over 14 million copies across the world and have garnered him international acclaim, including a Nobel Prize. In just a moment, we are going to be hearing how Orhan Pamuk became a writer and how he produces some of the greatest writing of our time. That's all coming up right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Talk about radio. It's Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse 95 Live at the Sharjah International Book Fair. Live Beats. Live Beats. With Sally Musa. Live from the Expo Center Sharjah. It's Pulse 95. One of the most extraordinary sessions of the Sharjah International Book Fair involved the man behind some of the most complex and captivating novels of our times, including My Name is Red, The Black Book, Snow and The Red-Haired Woman. Orhan Pamuk is one of the most prominent writers of our time, taking us into stories that cross the line between cultures, transcend the limitations of time itself and merge dreams and reality to reveal larger commentaries on power, identity and the human condition. I sat down with him to talk to him about his fascinating process and started out by asking him how he became a writer in the first place. Orhan Pomak, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you as part of the Sharjah International Book Fair. I'm also very happy to be here and ready to answer your questions. (laughs) For you, you are somebody who, um, in your early 20s, you actually started out being an artist and then all of that ended and you moved into writing. Talk to us about that process. I come from a family of engineers between the age of 7 and 22. Everyone thought that I will be an engineer and a painter because I was a sort of a black sheep in the uh, family, busy with painting. They surprisingly encouraged me saying, well, you go to the same engineering school, but be an architect. That's the solution for me, which I did. I won the examination and enrolled. But after three years, I was reading so many novels. Somehow I realized I cannot be a painter and architect. And as I chronicled in my book, Istanbul, Memories of the City, and this is the last sentence, I don't want to be a painter, I want to be a writer. I said, and switched from um, painting to writing novels. But I was already prepared to a solitude of a writer's life because I was already had a little atelier that my mother gave me and uh, and preparing myself or seeing myself visually uh, in my late years I would be alone in a room doing something it I thought I would be doing art now I am doing literature 
It's interesting because you actually say you had to kill the painter in you to become the novelist that you are. But I feel like your writing is so visual and it, it has the complexity of painting. So I don't think you quite killed it, did you? Uh, thank you. Um, people tell, tell me that I'm a visual novelist. I agree. I see, I write a scene first, but I see it visually. Tolstoy, Proust, and Nabokov, they, these are the writers who also are very visual. They approach a table, then they write something very simple, but then you can visualize the whole scene. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I am not a painter anymore, and I did my best to kill the painter in me, but this person resurrected some 10 years ago. I did a museum, one of my novels, Museum of Innocence, is both a novel and a museum in which the novel operates almost like an annotated museum catalog where annotations are short and manipulated in such a way that we can read the catalog as an annotated catalog as a sort of a novel. And I like doing this kind of tricky acrobatics in fiction. I still consider myself as a sort of experimental writer taking risks, but the more famous you get, the more popular you get, the more translations you have, that is also a bit risky. I'm doing my best. Yeah. Talk to us about your process. I, I know that you live in the same place that you work as well. And this has an impact on your writing in a very specific way. about uh, living in the same place. No, even sleeping in the same place where the manuscript is. Because I think we human beings have very poetic dreams and very poetic inner life. But outside things disrupt the poetry in us. When I wake up in the middle of the night, and with my pyjamas on, with my slippers, I go walk, uh, you know, one minute and I'm in my table. I'm still dreaming in my dream and I write. I know what I'm writing about. I'm not saying you have to be irrational to be a writer, but you have to plan your life in such a way that the poetry in you will also pass to the paper. Then don't think that I'm only a dreamy, romantic poet, uh, a dreamer or a poetic person. Then what I write in a poetic mood later, one or two days later, in my most cruel editor and engineer mood, I cut and paste, edit what I wrote poetically. A novelist is a person who can manage many, many moods. This now I moved to Columbia University writing professor mood uh, that you have to know yourself to write your novels, to manage your moods. If you're in a poetic mood and you, if you want to edit your novel or the other way around, it won't work. Knowing yourself, managing the moods you're in it and preparing yourself to write. I always prepare myself to write uh, what I will write next. So how do you come up with what you're going to, to write about next? You know, is this something uh, where an idea comes to you or do you just write and let it flow? I have many projects ongoing. I, I, I never had any problem. What do I write about? There's always more projects. I always think about the novel I'm going to write and also take notes about uh, that book. So 
Before my pen touches the paper, there is a lot of thinking and preparation. But even that kind of preparation sometimes does not help. You cannot write, you can write, and you cannot write. This is normal. Being a writer is uh, accepting the failures as a normal thing, not getting discouraged by that. For me, in the end, I have a story that I prepare, uh, add up, then I chapter put the chapter that story the meaning I divide it to various groups then I again add up more material what can be in this chapter what can be in that chapter while I'm doing this most of the time I'm writing another novel these things are preparations for the novel that I would be writing next sometimes I make preparations you know for example I have five or uh, six novel preparations in the end I as I finish my this novel that I'm writing now then I will move to the other one uh, whichever I want really in that sense I'm a very happy writer writing what I want to write preparing myself what I to what I want to write then when I slowly and slowly write my novels, then when I publish them, finish them, they're well received, not, not much unhappiness. Um, so writing a novel, thinking about me as I get older is even more joy, more preparation, more readers, more fun. Yes. Coming up next, Orahan talks literary prizes and whether they really matter. That's next here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse, Pulse 95. 95. It's a Sharjah story. Pulse 95. Pulse 95 Live at the Sharjah International Book Fair. Live Beats. Live Beats. With Sally Musa. Live from the Expo Centre Sharjah. It's Pulse 95. Yeah, welcome back to the Sharjah International Book Fair. Life Beats is broadcasting live here every single day from the fair. And uh, here you're listening to my conversation with eminent Turkish writer Orhan Pamuk. Here we're talking about a divided world. We talk about his hometown of Istanbul and whether literary prizes really matter. Talk to me about uh, Istanbul. This is your city. You come back to it again and again in your novels. Talk to us about how it's evolved and why it keeps coming back as a subject for you. First of all, when people say, oh, you're obsessed with Istanbul or this or that, uh, no one said, says Dickens is obsessed with London. Dickens is living there. It's natural that he writes about yeah. uh, London. Dostoevsky was really, uh, living in St. Petersburg. No one says Dostoevsky was obsessed with St. Petersburg or returning and returning. It's his home. Writers write about their homes, their country, their streets, their friends. Uh, my home, my friends, my streets happen to be in Istanbul. I came across humanity in Istanbul. But first, I wanted to write about my family, friends, humanity. And, and since everyone I knew were in Istanbul, indirectly, I was writing about Istanbul. No one said to me in Turkey that you're an Istanbul writer. I learned that I'm an Istanbul writer when my books begin to get translated and they begin to call me Istanbul, Istanbul. Then I begin to get self-conscious about being an Istanbul writer. At the beginning, I regretted this. I didn't plan this, but later, as in a strangeness in my mind, which is a self-conscious Istanbul novel, I went out the streets of Istanbul 
and talked to street vendors and chronicled the development of the city in the last 40 years through yogurt vendors, boza vendors, whatever, uh, street food vendors. I found them, talked to them, uh, found their wives also, uh, and wrote self-consciously an Istanbul novel. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Uh, Actually, it's interesting, you mentioned Colombia earlier, you went to New York, and it started making you think about identity, which is a, a theme that comes back again and again in your novels. You found yourself when you left Turkey. It's so interesting. This happens to many authors, uh, that when you are away from your homeland, uh, then you begin to think radically about it. Uh, I was in New York uh, with my wife, who was doing her PhD, and Columbia University was nice to me. But at that, uh, and I was going to all the American libraries, all the American museums, and asking myself, wow, the richness of American culture, do we have these libraries, do we have these museums in Istanbul? No. And I begin to ask these questions to myself, what is my identity? have my Istanbul Museum, if I have this kind of library, what would I put? Then I begin to read uh, classical Islamic literature that I have found in Columbia universities, and believe me, they have good libraries. And then I started to write my black book about this, belonging to Turkey, reading old Sufi texts, and also combining with this with American postmodernism. I think the vitality of my books, if they have any, depends on putting two contradictory things that you would think that should never come together and feel the electricity in between and I want to be that electricity. <laughs> That's what it's about. And you know, you you refer to that um, again and again. My name is read in that particular book. You know, you're talking about this this electricity, the exchange of cultures yes. that starts something new. So talk to us about, you know, how we can see that in today's world. You know, uh, it seems so divided. No, I disagree. The, today's world may seem by politics, by wars, people bombing each other. But on the other hand, people are also immigrating. There is more immigration than ever. And, and the, unfortunately, European governments are curtailing it. But people don't believe, don't trust the governments. People are communicating and giving each other messages. Um, uh, and I'm not pessimistic about that. The, human, the voice of humanity cannot be curtailed by governments, by walls, by borders. Uh, I am on the side of the immigrants, but I also understand why they're saying, stop, don't come, don't, you're too much. I also understand that right-wing nationalistic closing um, reaction. I understand why they're doing that, yes. Absolutely. You are, of course, the Nobel Laureate for Literature. What difference has that award made to you? And do you think literary prizes matter? You're a multi-award winner. Uh, They matter, really. I made my career in Turkey before anyone knew me outside of Turkey, winning early Turkish prizes. I won a lot of Turkish prizes before I get translated internationally. And even my first book that I was uh, translated to French first, uh, and they immediately gave me a prize. Uh, and then the Gallimard, my French publisher, were happy. So prizes really matter. And I'm angry to people who make jokes about prizes or who take prizes lightly. Yes, some juries are not maybe responsible. Some juries are only thinking about politics. We all know about that. But in the long run, 
a prize may help a writer and really prizes from the first one I received when I was 25 in Turkey to the Nobel Prize, they were all very influential in my life. And I am grateful to all the juries that gave me prizes. I am not negative about prizes. Yes, if you don't win a prize, you may get angry. And there were times that they said, oh, you also won this one. Come and then you're in the envelope. I was not in the envelope. You get a bit angry, but it's okay. <laughs> um, for you, talk to me about, you know, Sharjah is the world book capital this year. It is all about the power of books. Talk to me about, about the books that changed your life. Yes, this is exactly what uh, Orhan is going to be revealing next. And he's going to be telling us what he is working on now. That's all coming up on Life Beats Live from the Sharjah International Book Fair. The heart of Sharjah. This is Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Pulse 95 Live at the Sharjah International Book Fair. Live Beats, Live Beats with Sally Musa. Live from the Expo Centre Sharjah. It's Pulse 95. I tell you what, this is the place where you are going to find some of the world's greatest authors, some of the world's leading personalities, whether it's cultural, whether it's social media, whether it's in any field. Uh, in last hour, uh, we were speaking to James Haskell and Chloe Maidley. Uh, somebody who I spoke to earlier on uh, at the book fair is none other than 2006 Nobel laureate for literature, Orhan Pamuk. What an incredible guy. What an incredible mind. Here, he talks about the books that changed his life and what he's working on next. There are so many books that changed my life. In fact, I once wrote a book about the first sentence being the new life. It's a complex book. If you haven't read anything from me, don't start for new life. It starts with one day I've read a book and it changed my whole life. But on the other hand, I am, compared to other readers, read books in a more liberal, soft way. Yes, I have this intensity. I want this book to change my whole life because I'm not happy with my life. But after a while, uh, the poison of that book makes me suffer. I read another book that takes that poison away. I am a calculated reader in a way that I open myself to books in a very radical way, thoughtlessly. But after a while, I push the brake, then go to the next book. I have such radical friends who read a book of, say, a leftist shake, so to speak, you know, a leftist guy, and they only follow that for 20 years, and they get radical and radical. I'm not like that. I can carry many, many ideas in my head without worrying about the contradictions, which reminds me of what F. Scott Fitzgerald once said about writing a novel. If you have two contradicting strong ideas and you believe them in them simultaneously, more or less, this is what he said, then you can write a good book. I love it. Amazing. So what are you working on now? How many books are you working on and what yes, are they? Good question because I have many, many projects. I'm now try hoping, trying, maneuvering to publish a sort of a selections from my diary, another novel that I'm writing. But now I am about to finish a um, radical, long, big book like My Name is Red or Snow, um, which takes a, which uh, the title being Nights of Plague, which takes place in 
2001, which is about the third plague pandemic, which killed millions of people in this part of the world. The third plague pandemic killed millions in India and China and didn't even kill 100 people in Europe. But it's the same microbe, it's the same virus. Why tens of millions of people were killed in China and India and no one even mentions too much while the same microbe could not kill more than 100 people in West. What happened in between? What is quarantina and the developments in the modern medicine or even a more narrow subject of imposition of quarantina is a hard thing among the Muslims because they don't like some of the things they do. Uh, the doctors do. But imposition of quarantina is also something like imposition of modernity to people who doesn't want modernity. So, uh, so I'm writing a long, ambitious novel about this subject. There is plague coming from India and China and it's going towards Europe and Europe asks Ottomans to stop it coming soon uh, on this screen. <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to see the book? I'm always disappointed first myself and my friends and my publishers always uh, delay. The, the, uh, I, never, I always say to my, I'll finish this book in a year, then I will finish that book in four years. But I also tell my publishers, don't worry too much, don't worry too much. I finished 10 novels and I will finish the 11th one. So prolific. Um, sorry, you mentioned modernity there. So I want to ask you about history. History is so important to you. It, it's something you come back to again and again. Um, you know, you you mention it when you talk about Istanbul, the way that it has changed. You know, it is very much a subject of your writing. Talk to me about why history and where we're going is so important to you. There is no um, present without history. Uh, you're asking me why history? And people say, I love utopias. I want to think about future utopias. Why you're asking me why? Mm -hmm. Go to a, any library and look at the books. 95, 98% are about past. What happened to that person? What happened to that community? What happened to that nation? Mm -hmm. History and literature is all about past. Uh, there is no present without past. A future, we are very limited about thinking about future. Uh, very few people think that they manage to think about future. Very little people can think accurately about future. Uh, um, reading is considering past. Uh, I like writing fiction in which I talk about present and past in the same sentence, alluding what to what may happen in future. I like to play around time in my fictions. In fact, sometimes in the same sentence, I want to may allude to three different times. Yeah. Your advice to aspiring writers? My advice to aspiring authors, please don't listen to any author who is 67 years old and thinks that you will listen to his advice. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond that, beyond that, is it, is it, do they need to write every day? Do they need to read more widely? What would you say? Well, I don't, you know, please, if you're a good writer, you would have the sense that you should not listen to the advice of old writers. Okay. And right. after saying that, I won't advise, you know.
Okay, we're over. Okay, okay. <laughs> just finally about the 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 Sharjah book fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to get your sense of the book fair and and what you've seen so far. Uh, I'm impressed by the, its bigness. Uh, how much it um, represents. I have seen uh, many of my Asian uh, Arabic uh, Chinese uh, publishers around. Uh, I'm happy to see its richness. Um, I am also surprised by so so many people coming from all over the world. But I must also confess that I have not exhausted my visit to uh, stalls or labyrinths of Sharjah Book Fair. Sharjah Book Fair is just unbelievable. He's uh, had uh, quite a whirlwind time here. His session was definitely one of the most popular here at the Sharjah International Book Fair. The fair continues, guys, all the way until this Saturday. And Pulse95 is going to be here with you live every single day, bringing you interviews with some of the world's greatest authors, just like Orhan Pamuk. There are so many more to come. You have to keep it here on Pulse95. Tomorrow, we are going to be bringing you the interview with Steve Harvey. And not only Steve Harvey, you're going to be hearing from him, but I also managed to speak to his wife, Marjorie, and she shares some fantastic insights about their relationship, how they make it last, stuff that was very, very surprising to me, and you are going to want to listen in. So you make sure you come back here, you join us again tomorrow at 10 a.m. here on Live Feeds on Pulse95 Radio. Uh, Right now, I can see so many kids uh, all over the fair. The student uh, sessions are happening and they're all incredibly excited. It is crazy here. Make sure you come to the sessions. Chloe and James, they're on tonight with our very own Amr Dori. Make sure you catch that session as well. And there are hundreds of other sessions as well. So get them all into your calendar. Make sure you visit the Sharjah International Book Fair website. Uh, There is a lot going on. Uh, We've got uh, uh, also we've got uh, James Cleary as well. Atomic Habits 1% better every day. That is happening on Thursday. Another one as well. The book launch of The Proudest Blue with the one and only Ibtihaj Muhammad. Uh, She is the first uh, African-American Muslim Olympian who wears hijab, who medaled at the Olympics. Absolutely incredible woman. Uh, and uh, so many other brilliant writers. We're going to be bringing you all of that right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.